and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We are presented by Goodyear. Drive always discovers possibilities. Goodyear, more driven. Um, we have a momentous week in the NBA unfolding right now. We are recording this on Thursday afternoon. The NBA has just made a statement. Um, I will read it to you. But, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, this more things will have happened, I'm sure. Um, this is a statement from the NBA just released. NBA playoff games for today, which is Thursday, will be uh, will not be played as scheduled. We are hopeful to resume games either Friday or Saturday. Um there's going to be a conference call with owners and players later today. Um, joining me from Los Angeles is, and uh, who has reported on this extensively, is Ramona <laughs> Shelburne. Hello, Ramona. Hey, Bryce. Sorry, excuse me. None of us can talk anymore because we were up all night talking to everybody. <laughs> right, right. It's been a, it's been a, a challenging a few day, few uh, few days. Uh, and joining us from the bubble in Orlando. Um, the author of the recently released book, The Spencer Haywood Rule, Battles Basketball and the Making of an American Iconoclast, is Mark J. Spears of The Undefeated. I feel like, Spears, I feel like you may be able to write another book right on the heels of this one. <laughs> I'm You're too tired to write it right now. <laughs> I know the feeling. Um, so uh, this has been um, a fascinating period. Um uh, there's there's a lot of emotions that have obviously poured through the players there where you are, Mark, um, poured through the media, including myself, poured through the fans, poured through uh, public officials and politicians. It's all something that we're living and breathing in right now. Um, Spears, uh, you've reported on this extensively. I wonder if you could just take a step back and tell me about what your personal emotions were yesterday when you um, sort of put the pieces together about what was happening in the league right there in Orlando? Yeah, I kind of got the sense yesterday morning when there was the um, the teenage kid shooting up the people that things were, could turn into the wrong direction. And, and not the wrong direction, but a, a direction in which there could be a stoppage. And I, I kind of could see in Pascal Siakam's eyes yesterday that he was in no position mentally to play, that he didn't want to play. Um, and the Celtics and the, you know, Raptors were planning on having a second meeting to make that decision. So when they, when I got word that there was going to be a second meeting, I immediately thought, okay, what are the Bucks going to do? And I just happened to bump into one of their players around lunchtime and I'm like, okay, so are you guys considering not playing the game? He's like, news to me. <laughs> like, I'm, We haven't spoke about that in the least. And the player wasn't telling me a lie. He was, he was certainly telling me the truth. I mean, uh, the Orlando Magic were very upset, I was told, because, you know, that Jeff Weltman, their president, had been reaching out to the Bucks and talking to their GM, John Horace, trying to get updates on, what the Bucks were going to do. So when the Bucks decided they were going to go to the game, they thought it was all a go. Um, so they, you know, obviously in the end, the Bucks decided just minutes before the game, while the Magic were out there warming up, that they weren't going to play. And, you know, I kind of hear after the fact that the Magic were felt that they could have handled it certainly a lot better and gave them a heads up, and it was kind of embarrassing. But, you know, I just felt like over the last couple of days, the motions were getting tight um, after what happened in um, uh, Kenosha 
and with the videos and with the you know the, the protests and everything there, there just seemed to be a mood change starting from monday that just got to a boiling point yesterday ramona you and i both spent all night last night talking to people there in the bubble um I'll let, I mean, your. I mean, I, I think you have a pretty good feel for what their emotions were, even though they were kind of scattershot, they're kind of all over the place. But I know you were talking to some people. What were, well, you know, what I were you here? I'm going to echo a little of what Mark said, which was simply, you know, the Bucks decided fairly unilaterally and very quickly to not play the game. And it reminded me a little um, of how the season shut down on March 11th when. You know, we had all seen this coming, like little signs here, right? We, you know, you knew the Warriors talk about playing without fans. Like the, the, the drumbeat had started that the coronavirus was going to be a serious thing. But, you know, the you just felt it building. And then all of a sudden it went from building to boom. And and I think that's what happened yesterday, Mark. Like it was, it, I, I'll even take this back to Messiah Ujiri. When the video came out of the uh, incident involving the Raptors president and general manager at the finals last year, um, and it showed the officer, you know, who had sued the jury for for or pushing him or something, it showed the complete opposite that, that the officer had instigated it and pushed him aside. Um, people were upset about that. Then they were upset about Jacob Blake. And I mean, when I saw the LeBron James on Monday night after they after they at the Lakers won that playoff game. And you could just see LeBron was he was just all over the place. Like man, he, he goes, my emotions are all over the place. Like I, I they, felt, they played an absolutely brilliant game. Yeah, a brilliant, brilliant game. game. And he says, I can't even enjoy this win right now because I'm so upset. And he goes, you know, and I and I just keep thinking about this, Brian and Mark. It's just these are some of the most powerful black men in the world. And they went into this season saying, I need to stop seeing black people get killed by police. And we're going to dedicate our season to that. And we're going to do everything we can to raise awareness and make sure that doesn't happen anymore. And how is it this, this keeps happening? Like, how can we be some of the most black, powerful black men in the world and, and not be able to stop it and not be able to change it? And I think that that this building, since the, the video with Messiah Jerry was released, since LeBron's press conference Monday night, since Doc Rivers almost broke down in tears Tuesday night after their game, I mean, you could just feel it building. And as much as what the Bucks ended up doing surprised everyone, like it caught them on their heels, as you said, Mark, like they were at lunch and they were playing. And I mean, there were players warming up on the court. You know, they were Mike Budenholzer did his pregame press. Yeah, talk. I mean, there were guys in their uniforms. Uh, you know, Giannis went through his warm up. I, I, you know, I, I went through a bit of a, I've gone through a bit of a, um, a bit of an arc on this because uh, when it first happened. Um, and the more I learned about it, I mean, I really thought that that, that the Bucks were being a, a, a little bit. Um, I thought they maybe acted before before totally thinking it through, um, because uh, you know, as Mark mentioned, um, uh, the other teams weren't involved. You know, the players or the uh, the league wasn't involved, and it it hit everybody. And I kept saying, you know, like, well, what? Is there uh, what do what 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 is their goal here? What are they hoping to do? And I and I was I was wondering, you know, what is the off ramp? I must have said that word ten times to people yesterday. What's the off ramp? And then I came to understand. Uh, the more I talked and the more I listened, I think listening. 
I came to understand that it, that, that it was part of an exasperation and um, they didn't think that they, you know, they didn't, didn't not play because they thought everything was going to be fixed or that they thought they could get the Wisconsin state legislature to pass a bill, which is something that they ended up working on in that, uh, in that locker room. Um, but because they were exasperated, I thought Clinton Yates um, from the undefeated um, he wrote very eloquently and I learned from reading Clinton um, and he called what's going on right now um, a collective bereavement um, that the players are reacting to the weight of everything. And, you know, you can term it a bunch of different ways. You can term it a boycott, you can term it a, a strike, a walkout, but I like and I can connect with him saying collective bereavement and the fact that they want to potentially take today and tomorrow as well. Um, and I have to say, Mark, there's been a lot of positives that have come out of this bubble. There's, there's the, the awareness has really worked. I mean, I, I, as somebody who would like to think that I'm well-rounded have learned, I, I've, I've, you know, the, the piece that you wrote, for example, on why Mike Conley was wearing I am a man on the back of his jersey um, in reference to the sanitation workers' strike in Memphis in 1968, the event that uh, Martin Luther King went to Memphis for when he was assassinated. I learned doing that. And this last 24 hours when there wasn't basketball, when I was planning to work, I learned. I watched um, speeches that James Baldwin uh, made. I, you know, talked to people who um, went through this in the '60s, and I, I, I talked to, to to one woman who uh, I wish I could use her name because she's 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 famous, but I don't want to say who. And she's in her 70s, and and she just said to me that you know, in the '60s and '70s, we didn't have a plan when we when we protested. It was born out of emotion and rage. You know, um, it was Muhammad Ali and everyone else who eventually used that to make a change, and so. Spears, the players may feel like they the helpless, but I feel like something is being accomplished here, just in my own personal experience. And I'm not trying to say it um, to try to make any point. I'm just saying that's what has gone through. I, I don't know if it's going to work. I, I know that this isn't clean. They're not getting probably a, a, a clean result immediately out of this. But I do think what they're doing is is going to do something. Yeah, I think. What's hard, Brian, is um, we're so insulated here, man. Like we're, this really feels like a true bubble. In a lot of ways, people on the outside got to remind me what's going on. Um, like there's fires going on where I'm from in Northern California, but I'm not, you know, quite familiar with everything. I had had people say, "Hey, man, you check on your mom, you check on your your parents out in New Orleans," you know there's a storm coming. And so I had, I had to like shake myself and wake myself up and get out of this basketball world and check on my family and, and get abreast with what's going on. And I guess you could say my two homes, Louisiana and, and, and the Bay area. And so not only do you lose sight on what's going on outside of the bubble in a lot of ways, although what happened in Kenosha certainly had an exclamation point to it. Um, I think they just don't know like how you're affect they're affecting the world. 
how the world is perceiving everything that they're saying, taking it in, being influenced, energized, uh, educated. They, they don't know. Like, how do they find that out? So I, I think when their families come on Monday, because you got about 100 people quarantining, not everybody's going to be able to make it in because their loved one's going to get eliminated. But I think maybe they'll they'll get to learn from them man, so-and-so called me and told me what you said, or this person said, you know, the, I, I read this, and just, just like, you, you know, the fact that you just told me about the Mike Conley story, that means a lot to me. Because I don't know, like, I, I haven't got a sense who's reading me, you know what I mean, or who that influences. And I think what these guys are doing that it's not fair to themselves is putting the weight of the world on them. They're not going to change evil. You know, they, they could, they could do a great job of knocking down some of its bricks, changing some mentalities, educating people, but evil doesn't get conquered in three and a half months, you know? And so hopefully over these next two days, when I assume they start playing again on, again on Saturday, they could take a deep breath, which they probably needed. Um, they could get back to playing and then when they see their loved ones, because I, I do think Brian on Monday or on Sunday, when you see the video of a black man getting shot at while he's walking to his car or in, at his car and his three kids are in the back seat, that has an influence on every father that's in this place, especially if you haven't seen your child in a while. Um, I talked to Fred Van Vliet and his father was murdered when he was five. Okay. And he had to deal with being talked to about it at five years old. Then his kids are not here. They're coming on Monday, but you see that incident and it brings you back to your childhood. And then it also brings you to your current fatherhood. I mean, how you haven't seen your kids in, in a month and a half or nearly two months. And I think it made him and everybody else in here start to get really, really emotional intense because you can't go hug your child you can't explain it to your child i have a a family member who said they had to talk to their son who's not even 10 yet because he hates white people now like because he's seeing all these and then that's what people got to understand like the kids are seeing images much more than when we were growing up we didn't have youtube we didn't have our phones cell phones. We didn't have all these different means to see things. We just, we weren't interested when I was a kid in watching the 11 o'clock news or the six o'clock news. You know, I wanted to watch cartoons, but now these kids are seeing all these images. And for a young black kid seeing this over and over, it like reminds me when I was a child in my, you know, 10, 11, 12, being at the Afro-American center in San Jose, watching eyes on the prize and seeing people getting black people getting hit with uh water hoses and bit by dogs and not being able to go into this restaurant and uh, black and white bathrooms or water fountains and stuff like that like that had a profound painful effect on me and for the first time in a while i feel like that that pain i saw when i was a kid now these kids worldwide are seeing it and and are are going to have long term effect on it too from it too. So, 
so Mark, I, one of the things I, I think, and, and Ramona, um, one of the things I think is happening, I can't say for sure, I, I don't know, um, is that what's happened here uh, is that uh, because these players have made it such a mission for them to use the platform in Orlando as um, a leveraging point to open this discussion, that um, when something like what happened in Kenosha happens, there's an immense pressure, even if it's not their community specifically saying, what are you going to do? They feel the pressure. And so in addition to impacting them the way you just spoke about how Fred Van Vliet was feeling, it almost like perpetuates because they've been so willing to put their feelings out there and to, and to make this such a part of a basketball experience. When this happens, it's like, well, well what are you going to do? And, and I, I can just tell you that this kind of happened with LeBron James. Um, we all know what happened when he and the Heat made that huge statement about Trayvon Martin. And again, the awareness here, I, I, I tell people this whenever this comes up, I did not know who Trayvon Martin was or what happened with him when that photo went up. I was with the Miami Heat in Detroit when it happened, and I did not know what they were talking about. And so but he had done he had done that, and then he had done several other things where he had commented on what had been terrible moments uh, in this struggle on Eric Garner, where he wore the I Can't Breathe shirt in Brooklyn. Um, he had made comments about other things. So when the Tamir Rice tragedy happened in Cleveland, LeBron was back playing for the Cavs. And because he had commented and, and, and taken action and, and demonstrated on all of those previous events, there was an expectation for him to do something about what had happened to Tamir Rice. There was a call from people for him to boycott playing for the Cavs until there was action done with the officer involved. And he was all of a sudden in, in you know, felt like he was in water up to his eyeballs. And LeBron has learned from that because that was a difficult situation for him. And now he has channels where he can focus his energy, such as his school, such as more than the vote. And so Ramona, I think that part of the thing that's happening in, in addition to them feeling the pressure of being in this bubble, like Mark just articulated, they feel a social pressure to answer and be the voice of their community because it's almost like self-perpetuating. And, and, and I'm afraid that it, that pressure is only going to grow when, unfortunately, we can expect more things like this to happen. Well, I mean, Mark, something, something you said just, you know, hit me. They feel like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Like it's on them to fix this. And I, I get that because they are some of the most powerful black men on the planet. Okay? I mean, there's white, there's white players too, yes. But, but LeBron James probably top five terms of power and influence in this world and and he, you know when he puts his mind and the weight of his power and brand behind something it, it you know it, it can move mountains um and it, it's just got to be so frustrating to constantly feel like you're you're building a school so you're working on you know education you're you did more than a vote which has been a six-month endeavor this isn't just something that popped up this is this is a large, coordinated, nationwide campaign um, that LeBron has been heavily engaged in. Like, he's doing things all the time. And then you wake up and see that video. 
and it's and it's like you're doing things, you're working hard, and and I know you know some. I, I spoke to the lieutenant governor of uh, of Wisconsin yesterday, and he you know he was his name is uh, Mandela Barnes, a great name, right? Um, and he was saying the players in the call, they all just kept asking him, give us some things we can ask for, give us some things that can that we can work towards. And one of the questions they, they, they followed up with was, hey, what has changed in our state in the last three months? Has anything changed? Has there anything been done since these protests started? I mean, you know, all the, all the awareness, all the conversations, all the protests, everybody's talking about this, but what has actually been done? And, you know, the lieutenant governor basically told him, like, well, it's really hard to get things done. There's a, you know, the state legislature is, is you know, the, Mandela Barnes and Governor Tony Everett there are, are Democrats. They put a legislative package on the table two months ago for police reform. There's like nine bills within it. And all sorts of different police reforms that they, they've been trying to get the legislature to vote on, but the legislature is controlled by the opposing party, the Republican Party in that state. And even if, even when Tony Everett, the governor, calls a special session, the legislature has you know, shown up and gaveled in and gaveled out without taking a vote. They're not required to even vote on it. And the Bucks are like learning about this on the fly. I mean, one of the details Malika Andrews told me um, from just standing outside that locker room yesterday was about an hour into the meeting, a video coordinator for the Bucks went out into the hallway and grabbed the whiteboard and wheeled it back into the room. And it was like, they were literally come taking notes on their call with the lieutenant governor and the attorney general and coming up with plans and coming up with things that they could go try to work on. And, like, you know, I, I think these guys in the NBA, they, they want to help so much. They want things to change. The owners I, I've heard from, at least I've talked to, have said, we want to help them help the world, that we want to help them do this, but what more can we do? Because... In the end, making change in this world is a long, complicated process. And I think, you know, Mark, you were one of the people who told me about this. I also heard from um, other folks who were in the room that Andre Iguodala, the, the vice president of the Players Association, spoke pretty eloquently about this and, and saying to the guys, you know, you have to have strategic coordinated action and political action um, outside of this not just about speaking up raising our voices about voter registration how many of you guys are even registered how many of your team you know that there's there's a landmark um, police reform bill on the table in california this week you know about it called california bill 731 and andre knew all about it and he had educated himself and he was pushing for these things um and i think that's the level of activism that uh they probably need if they truly are going to have a kind yeah, of... I, I don't know if every player is going to be like Andre right. Wadala, but I mean, I, you know, and, and I think it's I think it's fair to say that um, not not everybody that Milwaukee locker room had a uh, had a plan, and that you know caused some problems. But their their intentions were pure. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. 
The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Spears, I just want to ask you, um, what do you think is going to have to happen now? Um, the players are going to go back to playing after it looks like it's going to take three days to sort of get, get their minds a little bit more uh, put together. Um, you know, one of the things that I heard from some some people that were in the bubble yesterday was that there, were, there was a little bit of frustration that Adam Silver and actually none of his uh, – Mark Tatum and Adam Silver are not in the bubble Um Kiki Vandeweghe uh, and Byron Spruell, you know, two high-ranking NBA officials are there, but not the commissioner or the deputy commissioner. Um, you know, if Adam had been there, he, you know, could have, in theory, gone into the locker room to talk to the Bucks. I mean, I'm not, maybe they wouldn't have invited him, but he certainly could have been at the meeting last night. You know, Michelle Roberts, the head of the Players Association, is in the bubble. Um, and do you think that in addition to the families coming in, that um, – and I'm not saying that this is Adam Silver's fault per se – but I think the league may need to be a little bit more on top of this to help the players through this. Yeah. I I think there was, um, and I think all of us have high respect for Adam Silver and what he's done, but I do think there was perhaps a little miss, uh, misstep here, not being in the bubble. I, I, I think for the players, it would have meant a lot if Adam was here, Mark Tatum was here, maybe even some of the like owners were here seeing what they're going through, seeing, um, you know, what they're giving up, um, how hard it is, what's, what, what it's like to and be just in, so you know, you mean in the bubble. There's owners who have come to the second layer, but, you know, but they fly yeah, in, no, that's, that's they get, they, you they know, they're at the games, but they're behind the plexiglass. Sorry, yeah, they can come and go that. as they please, but they can't come down to the court and visit with their guys and hear what they're going through and, and kind of be a sounding board for them and also hear what they need. So, I mean, like that, I think perhaps a lot of things could have been alleviated if those parties were here. And and I think every, not only just Adam and Tatum should be here. I think the owners should do this too. And it might be beneath them to quarantine for seven days. I mean, I'm Steve Ballmer. I may, I'm worth 3 billion. I don't do that. You know (laughs) what I mean? 70 billion, but yeah. Yeah. My really my bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's different levels for sure. Um, like it can't be beneath you to do that. I I think if a, if one of the owners does do that, that'll mean a tremendous amount to their guys. Well, some of these owners are running big corporations and big businesses. They have responsibility. Other employees. I, no, guys, uh, I've heard that too, and I and I I thought about it. You know, about because. Brian and I are not in the bubble, right? And we both made personal choices. Um, you know, we have two, we have young kids. My son is almost two. Brian, your son is almost three, right? That's right. Um, and it was uh, a long commitment to be away, right? Like, you know, at least on my end, I felt like, you know, with, with COVID and my parents being elderly, I mean, they're not, I, I don't think of them as elderly, but they're over 70, okay? So I guess they are. Um, and then taking a, a pretty big role in, in childcare, I didn't feel like I could leave for those that many months, right? I know Brian same, probably had a lot of same. same 
consideration. Yeah. And it's something like truly, like I, it was, it was a no brainer for me, but it's also made me appreciate the sacrifices these players and coaches have had to make because a lot of them have young kids too. Mm. You know, a lot of them have the same kind of issues that I have. Yeah, I mean, Adam Silver has a two month old, yeah. but so does Giannis Atenacumpo. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think Conley. that's what we're talking about, right? You know, like Conley, yeah, a bunch of these guys Conley have left their enough newborns, newborn, Dennis Schroeder. I mean, it's, when you appreciate that sacrifice, like there's a part of me that I always want to acknowledge that. Like, you know, I don't feel embarrassed about my choice. I don't feel bad about it. I chose to be around my family because I felt like I needed to be here and it was too much of a risk for my, for my parents and also for my son. But, um, but I, I think those guys had the same feeling. And you, well, you, guys, that, you know, you guys see the look on Dame Lillard's face when he left today and got to hug his boy. Yeah. Like that, that picture was priceless. I've been around him a lot here. I, I haven't seen him smile like that the whole time that we're, we've been here. And he, even for like the media here, like the players, and I, don't, I know people don't care about us, but they have, they have these more palatial hotels, pools, things that they could do. Um, whereas, you know, we, we have, we don't have a restaurant to go to, you know, or, um, as many activities to do. We, we kind of just sit by the pool and play music and uh, drink our own BYOB or, or W for me with the I've, wine. I've heard that you are a wine. Uh, I heard that there's been some wine brought in by you, Mr. Spears, just for the record. I am, um, you know, I, I, I will take the. You've earned, you've earned it. Yeah, I mean, I got a wine refrigerator in my room, so that probably says everything you need to know, right? Like I actually bought a wine refrigerator to put here. <laughs> so well, you know, uh, that's, that's a you know you're only you're only adult right and you'll appreciate it with the nebraska roots and everything um i also have to do things mentally to keep myself sane and so i'm going fishing every week i've never really went fishing and we could go fishing like i'm not a golfer they offer golfing and stuff like that so every Sunday for the like past month, I've gone fishing and it's been an amazing two hours that takes me like kind of out of the bubble in a secure way. And I come back and I feel just re-energized so much better, got away and um, then back to reality. But I think, um, you know, guys are, you know, yearning to do more of that. Just something that makes you feel like you're not stuck. And I do think come Monday, when friends, family, whoever comes in, yeah, it's going to be high maintenance. You know, all of a sudden, have to entertain folks and everything. But having your kids, having your wife, having your girlfriend, your your homeboy, whoever here, uh, your father, your mom. Oh man, I I, I could, I'm going to be jealous of them. You know, but I, I think in terms of the players. They'll be a lot more relaxed uh, the rest of the way come Monday. All right. Well, Spears, you've got to go. Um, I appreciate your time. Appreciate your, what you're doing. Uh, overall, the your coverage, but also the coverage about the undefeated right now. I mean, look, they're in our family. They're you know, Mark is my coworker, but uh, go read the undefeated, and you it will help educate you. Um, in addition to telling you what's going on in there, we'll educate you. So I, I would encourage everybody to do that. I certainly have been reading 
the undefeated um, as a consumer, not just as a um, ESPN employee. Um, I'm going to stick with Ramona for for a minute, but thank you, Mark. I appreciate your time. Um, hang in there, man. Hey, and and I'm going to tell you both of you guys too. You know, there ain't no reason for you to feel guilty. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm happy that you're getting those time with your babies, man. Because you you <laughs> yeah. There's that's that's like when I see Cassidy looking at her kid, and you know some of the people looking at their kids and stuff. You you can't get that time back. So. Don't feel guilty about that. Enjoy every second with your babies. All right, Spears. Take care, man. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Uh, Ramon, I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned a minute ago about... um wondering what they, what, you know, what there was for them to do. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, there may be an announcement because the players are meeting with the owners um, over the, you know, Zoom or something uh, this afternoon. Um, the owners have pledged $300 million over the next 10 years to initiatives to increase uh, black entrepreneurship in all of the NBA cities and other social justice initiatives. Um you know, some of them have gone much further. Uh, Joseph Sy earlier this week, uh, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, donated $50 million to uh, social justice initiatives. So it's for, from a money standpoint, you know, significant uh, outlay has been made. Um, but I think I got a feeling that, that the NBA players want more um, because they think there's more to give than just writing a check, even though the check writing is significant. Um, what sort of, because I know that you talk with owners and so do I, um, you know, how do they, you know, what is the path forward from here with the players and owners, knowing that they also in October have to then renegotiate their collective bargaining agreement to get ready for next year. And I don't mean to even in, imply that we need to worry about, you know, the mid-level exception, but the, also it's responsible. One of the things that happened in the owner in the players meeting last night was that they talked about the negotiation that's upcoming and that that needs to be that the players, as they consider their options here, need to be mindful of that. So what do you think the owners and the players can do that will help move this all forward? Well, I, I think that's the, the big question. And, and everyone I was spoke, everyone at ownership level, I was talking to you last night. We're like, you know, we have been supportive. We've tried to, you know, put our money where our mouth is. We've issued statements. You know, the Bucks owners literally, when the players decided not to play, they said, who do you want to talk to? We'll get them on the phone. 
and they can move mountains. As you know, the Bucks ownership is, is some of the most well-connected political ownership and owners in the country. I and mean, they literally just staged the Democratic National Convention um, virtually last week. So when they wanted to get the governor and lieutenant governor and attorney general of Wisconsin on the phone, that happened quick. Um, and and that, that shows you that there are owners out there that have the power to move mountains. Um, they have the power to open doors. And I think the players feel like they can do more for them in those initiatives, um, in helping them enact the types of societal change, but also legislative change, um, where it's not just throwing money at a problem, where it's not just issuing statements of support um, or, you know, a, a paid holiday on Juneteenth. I think they I think they want them to help them engage legislatively. I think they want them to help open those type of doors or even to become more political and in, in, in the actions that they are taking. Um, I don't know what ideas they can come up with that they haven't already tried. Because we yeah, spent no, no, this is the, this is a real tough one because the, because owners, some of them just don't. Some of them will just do whatever they like. Mark Cuban has no concern about what anybody thinks about him. But many of the owners work in businesses that are you know public facing, or some of them do, and like some of them actively work to stay behind the scenes. Like you don't see um, you don't see Stan Kroenke, Nuggets owner, while owns the LA Rams, out there giving interviews. Um, you know, you don't see Clay Bennett, who's very, who's become a very powerful NBA owner. He, he hasn't given an interview that I'm aware of in years. Um, even though his team has taken, he has taken steps in his name. Um, you know, some of these guys specifically keep a low profile. Um, the, the ones who are out there are, are usually, they try to be apolitical. Um, you know, there's, you know, Tillman Fertitta is on CNBC almost every day. Mark Lazary, who owns the Bucks. Um, is Mark Lazar is one of the biggest Democratic fundraisers raisers in the country and just was, you know, was trying to host the DNC this year. Um, you know, he, but he is an outlier, um, you know, so um, I understand the player's feeling. I totally do. And I totally understand the players feel like the owners can do more. I, I just, I think it's a challenge. And I think this is where Adam Silver comes into play, how to find the bridge to build. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I, I had a line in the story, which was, uh, you know, we wrote today, which was simply this was the in a, this was the height of player empowerment. In other words, they stopped the league. They and th- and four other major sports also postponed because yeah, of- the tennis tennis halted. Yeah, baseball, baseball halted. Soccer. I mean, that, that, uh, soccer and then the NHL has canceled their games for tonight. So they they literally stopped sports in their tracks. Everybody, the Bucks, the Bucks did it. The Bucks, that ripple effect from the Bucks stopping, not playing yesterday, stopped five major sports. That's incredible amount of player empowerment, but it also showed the limits of the players power because while they may have a tremendous amount of power within the sports world, within the cultural zeitgeist, within, um, on social media or, you know, in, in, in circles with advertisers or, or big fortune 500 companies or broadcast networks, they can't get a bill passed through the Wisconsin state legislature on their own. It, I don't know that the, the speaker of the Re- Republican assembly in Wisconsin cares. I don't know about that. You know, I don't know if they have political, they can exert political pressure um, on elected officials across the country in ways that they can uh, within the world of sports. And so in, in, in one way is it is very empowering what happened in the NBA yesterday 
Um, in another way, it's also very humbling because it, it, it reminds you that change happens really slowly. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of effort over a long time, um, you know, to get a bill passed anywhere, let alone through Congress, let alone on the national scale. And so I think that's where we ended up. I think that's where all the players ended up. And they, you know, the, what I had heard about this morning's meeting was it was less, um, of a discussion amongst everyone. Like I think last night's meeting, every, you know, it was an open floor. Everybody talked, uh, this morning was more union leadership. It was much more organized. It was much more, let's focus on the big picture of, do we want to keep playing? If so, you know, do we have more power with our platform here in Orlando to continue to speak about this and bring attention to these causes and, and situations, or will we have more power leaving the bubble and going back to our daily lives? And I think, you know, somebody had made a point. I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to name this person because I, I don't know hundred percent if who, who this player. Um, but the point was there have been plenty of people who've left the bubble. Uh, there were other people who decided not to play for social justice reasons. And we haven't heard much from them. You know, like what have we heard from people who are not in Orlando right now? Like they're not having the same impact as what the players in Orlando are having right now. And I think that hit home. Um, one of the comments I, I know Jalen Brown said was, if we are going, if we're going to leave, if we're going to shut this all down and go home. Are you going home to just hang out with your family and be home? Or are you going home to get out on the front line? And I think that's where they all ended up last night. I know that's, that was the theme of this morning and Brian brought this up too. And I think it's very real. Um, they also considered the pretty cataclysmic effects on the financials for next year uh, if they just shut the league down and just, you know weren't necessarily um, willing to go that far right now because um, man it could it could cost you know the, the number I heard that thrown out by the union last night was you know, 25 to 30 percent reduction in player salaries if they don't have the playoffs for the rest of this year. And that's in addition to what they were already looking at for the, the pandemic and not having fans. It's pretty staggering. Yeah, although I don't think they're being that. I don't think money is motivating them at this point. I mean, but I just think, um, I just think they were exasperated, and yeah. so they they, um, they did it because it, it felt was what they had to do. And I and I, you know, my I do think that it it helped because it changed the conversation and moved the conversation. My concern. And my fear for the country, really, but that's neither here nor there. But my concern is, I'm afraid that this is going to happen again. Something else is going to happen, and it it because the players have taken this position, even though I respect it and it has helped me and taught me, and I've learned from it. I'm worried about the precedent they're setting because whether it's hopefully it doesn't happen for a long time, but you know it it, it does keep happening, and so I'm just. And I guess I guess their response would be, well, we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen. So um, the conversation will continue going. We'll continue watching it. And uh, there'll be basketball, it looks like, soon. And, um, and that's good, but it's also good that there's going to be a break. Um, the collective bereavement. I, I, I really thought that crystallized it. Um, thank you to Ramona. Um, 
thank you to Mark Spears. Um, before we go, a reminder that ESPN offers a bunch of great basketball podcasts like the Woj Pod, where in the latest episode, Woj and Malika Andrews relive one of the most unforgettable days in NBA history, which was yesterday. They're both in the bubble like Mark Spears. You can find the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for today's show. We'll talk to you next.